0: Today, I'm talking about slain civil rights leader Medgar Evers from Jackson, Mississippi, and he truly was an icon in the civil rights movement. He was born in Decatur, Mississippi on the 2nd of July in 1925, and then he was assassinated on the 12th of June, 1963, at only 37 years old. He was a father of three children, two sons and a daughter, and he was married to his wife, Merle Beasley Evers, who also later in her life was active in the civil rights movement. So I want to just say a little bit about Medgar Evers and his background. And first I'll just share a quote. One of the things he said was this, as long as God gives me strength to work And try to make things real for my children, I'm going to work for it, even if it means making the ultimate sacrifice. And of course, he probably did not know he was uttering prophetic words as he did have to make that ultimate sacrifice. So let's just dial in a little bit of information about him. He served in World War II as a soldier. And he went to Germany and he was involved in France at the Battle of Normandy. When he came back to the United States, he was struck even more about the racist climate that existed in Mississippi, where he really had none of the civil rights that most citizens in the state actually enjoyed other than black citizens, of course. And so this actually spurred him on to some of his later civil rights activities. Prior to starting a lot of those, however, he went to Alcorn Agricultural and Mechanical College on the GI Bill, and he studied business administration. Also, later after that, moved to a town called Mount Bayou, which happened to be an all-black community. And there was a wealthy black man there named T.R. Howard who owned an insurance company. And he hired Medgar to sell from the Magnolia Mutual Life Assurance Company. And while he was working for T.R.M. Howard, Howard was the president of the Regional Council of Negro Leadership. And it was there that Medgar Evers really got some of his early training in the civil rights movement. So one of the activities they were involved in was a gas station boycott. And they had signs that said, don't buy gas where you can't use the restroom. And of course, back in those days, Black patrons were not allowed to use the restroom in most public facilities, including gas stations. And this made it very difficult if you were doing any interstate or cross-state travel. And so he was, in essence, marshalling the forces of the people to say, we have some economic cloud inability. Let's not use our money to support institutions that oppress us in various ways. And so that was kind of like some of his early days in the civil rights movement. Now, in February of 1954, he decided to apply for admission to the University of Mississippi Law School. At the time, the school was segregated and they refused to admit him, even though Medford Evers was a very intelligent man and he had all kinds of academic accolades and certainly would have been admitted if it had been based on the strength of his academic record. He was unable to make that desegregation effort happen at that time, although years later, in 1962, he was involved in desegregating the University of Mississippi with another student whose name was James Meredith. But in 1954... Bolstered by all of these infractions in Mississippi and having served honorably in the military fighting for the country, in 1954, he became the first NAACP field officer. That's the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People. And at that time, he moved to Jackson, Mississippi. He was involved in a lot of activities, including the public investigation of the horrific lynching of 14-year-old Emmett Till, who was lynched while visiting Mississippi on a trip where he lived from Chicago. Now, during Mega Evers' tenure, leading in the NAACP, he did a lot of work to really get people organized to vote. He organized economic boycotts of segregated businesses in Mississippi, and he also investigated crimes that were perpetrated against Black people, including this crime against Emmett Till. You can imagine that he was the target of many death threats for many years. So around about the 28th of May, there was a Molotov cocktail that was thrown onto his house carport. And so also about a week before he actually did die, he was almost run over by a car as he was leaving the NAACP headquarters. And in fact, he sustained some minor injuries as a result of that attempt. In June of 1963, there was an increase in civil rights demonstrations And he was even permitted at a point to give a short speech on television. At that time, black people did not have a voice on television or on radio in Mississippi. So this was highly unusual. And after that speech where he articulated the goals for the Jackson, Mississippi, civil rights movement, the threats on his life increased. And so ultimately, on the 12th of June, 1963, this is when he was assassinated. Now, let me mention, several months ago, I had the opportunity to go to Jackson, Mississippi for the first time in my life. And while I was there, I toured the home where Medgar Evers lived with his family. And on that tour, the house curator, Minnie White Watson, walked a small group that I was in walked us through the whole experience of that evening the night that he was slain and in addition the private group I was touring with we had the privilege of to also hear a firsthand account from his daughter Rena so Rena was there in person and she shared her memories and her reflections of that evening, and also of her life, growing up with her father, her mother, and her two brothers, and she was only about eight years old when her father was killed. So on this fateful evening of the 12th of June, 1963, Medgar Evers was arriving home from an NAACP meeting. His wife and children were at home, and they had just watched President Kennedy give a civil rights-oriented speech on television. When Megger Evers arrived home, he took out of the trunk of his car some T-shirts that said, Jim Crow must go. And those were all the laws of segregation that really disenfranchised black people and that were very active and in, in place, particularly in the South at that time. He was shot in the back as he was walking towards his home. And this happened with a high-powered rifle. The rifle was so high-powered that the bullet went through him, went into his home. It ricocheted off various places in the home, including on the refrigerator. And to this day, you can see the indentation on the refrigerator where that bullet hit. Once he was hit, he staggered for about maybe 30 seconds or so, and then he collapsed. And within an hour, he was pronounced dead at the hospital. Now, as a military man, he had trained his family on what to do in the event of various crises. So when the family heard gunshots outside, his children, they headed to the bathroom to take cover in the bathtub. But then his wife heard a thud outside and she went to the door and that's when she saw her husband there on the stairs. And some neighbors also fired some shots to hopefully chase away the person who was firing shots at the home. And those two neighbors came over to help in the situation, and they used a mattress from the daughter's bed to actually transport him to the hospital. After his death, he was uh, buried at the Arlington Cemetery on the 19th of June. When you go to the home now and you tour the home, you will see his blood is still on the concrete carport outside of the home. The neighborhood where they lived is actually a very nice, beautiful neighborhood that was built by two African-American men who were military veterans, and they were creating a neighborhood really just about a block long for leaders and for professionals in the black community. And that neighborhood happened to be bordered by white neighborhoods as well. The person who killed Medgar Evers' was a white Ku Klux Klan member of the White Citizens Council. His name was Byron de la Beckwith. He had a trial at the time, two different juries that ended up being deadlocked and hung juries as we call it. And so back then, the assassin actually escaped justice and he was set free. Also at that time, The governor of the state appeared in the courtroom, shook the assassin's hand, and he received really star treatment as if he was really not a criminal. And even later, he ran himself for lieutenant governor. So that just gives you a little bit about the climate at the time when Medgar Evers was living. His wife later moved with the children to California so that they could heal and start over a new life there. She never forgot that this death was senseless and that the assassin was never brought to justice. And she continued to pursue every avenue to figure out how to bring him to justice. And because Byron de la Beckwith continued to brag openly to lots of people, he regularly admitted and one way or another, that, in fact, he had killed Medgar Evers. So in about 1994, Merle Evers, the widow of Medgar Evers, had enough information to pursue a new trial with respect to this case. In that new trial, Byron de la Beckwith was found guilty of murdering Medgar Evers. He was sentenced to life in prison, and this was now 30 years after having committed the crime where he had been living free for all that time. And ultimately, he died in prison in January 2001. So I want to just also say that Megar Evers, he had another quote I'll share about him. He says, I love my children and I love my wife with all my heart. And I would die gladly if that would make a better life for them. As a result of his death, there were many who redoubled their efforts in the civil rights movement, not only in Mississippi, but in other states as well. His death, as well as the work of Dr. Martin Luther King, those activities were responsible then for the ultimate Civil Rights Act in 1964. And Mecker ever says, you can kill a man. But you can't kill an idea. So even though he may no longer have been there, his thoughts, his work, and other people in the movement were still present. And I'd like to just say that he is a hero that we don't hear of as often anymore. And I wanted to take this time to tell you the story of Medgar Evers and his work with the NAACP and also the foundation he laid for the modern-day civil rights movement. And I will close today's segment with another quote from him where he says, the Negro has been here in America since 1619. And that's 344 years. This is at the time he wrote it. He says, he is not going anywhere else. This country is his home. And he wants to do his part to help make his city, state, and nation a better place for everyone, regardless of color and race. So I just encourage you to think about what is that next chapter? What can you do to make your city, state, and nation a better place for everyone? leadership resources.